have been on a series on receiving help for, uh, sorry, prospering by divine help. Prospering by divine help has been our series throughout the last few weeks. We are on the seventh of this series today, seventh topic, which is receiving help for enduring diligence. Before now, we have looked at receiving divine help for productive lifestyles. We have looked at marital success, parenting, teamwork, business creativity. And last week, as I've said, we had the opportunity of hearing on how to receive divine help on, for professional excellence. And um, if you have not listened to any of those messages, and particularly that of last week, I want you to listen to it because something was said last week that I think we should all hear. The word we, the, when we hear the word professional, many of us just feel it's for some people who are astronauts or pilots or something like that. Those are not our words, but I'm just putting it in another way. We think it's for some people who are doing some professional work. But everything we are doing as parents, husbands, wives, is a professional duty. Do you know that it takes the grace of God to be a husband? You don't believe? Ask any husband around you, they will tell you. <laughs> and it takes the grace of God to be a wife as well. It takes the grace of God to, to be excellent at doing those things. By the grace of God, my wife today, and my wife and I today, exactly today, celebrate our 23rd wedding anniversary. And we are truly, thank you. And we are truly grateful to God. I always say every anniversary is an opportunity to say thank you that we are still together. Thank you, Lord, because we are still together. Because the devil's intention is not for us to remain together. I want you to know that. So we are truly thankful. And I know that as we celebrate these anniversaries, as our birthdays, our wedding anniversaries, as a people, I want you to know that it will just be an occasion for you to be thankful. And many, many more years you will celebrate Jesus starting to come in Jesus' name. So this topic today is one that is very, very close to my heart. This is something that I find is very lacking in the body of Christ today. Enduring diligence. I coined those words. Many times we talk about endurance and we talk about diligence separately. And I find that technically speaking, if we look at what the two words mean, they are very close but somehow, unless you actually do the two, you have a limited potential. You have a limited potential to achieve the things that God wants you to achieve. We have been reading from 3 John chapter 1. Do I have a banner today? It's not up yet. Okay. We have been reading. Thank you. That's the banner. And uh, that's the seventh in the series. You can see we have two more topics to go. And uh, again, I would say, please go to our YouTube page, LiveGate Outreach TV, all the messages these ones and the ones before are there. And if you are not yet subscribed, you can subscribe, subscribe to podcasts on iTunes. Just search LiveGate Outreach Center. You will find our page. Loads of messages. All the messages of this year and part of last year have been on since we started putting them there. Uh, and uh, may God, those are audios. And may God bless you as you do so in Jesus' name. And so we have been reading our key verse, which is Third John chapter 2. And it says, Beloved, let's read together. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And so I also want to welcome those who are joining us on those platforms I've mentioned, LiveGate Outreach TV and the podcasts. I want to say that 
God has been very good to us, and I believe that he's helping you. I got a testimony again yesterday from Canada, from somebody who has been... Yes, let's give the Lord a big hand. Hallelujah. Somebody who has been following us ever since our messages have been put online. And I want to say that it, it is very encouraging to see that in this day and age, we are able to reach those very distant places. Canada is like one country that when you are flying to, it seems as if you are going to the moon. Not really, but then it's a very far country from us. So it's glad to see that we are making the, we have the opportunity to reach people in those shores as well. He said, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. The truth is that God's will for us is prosperity. To prosper in all things, as I've said, simply means all things. The Bible says you prosper in all things. So saying to us as a body of Christ that the word of prosperity is demonic, is not of God, is another demonic strategy to debar the church from walking in the fullness of her potential. It is impossible to do the work of ministry without enablement of prosperity. Prosperity of the spirit man, it is the fullness of your spirit that you can give to somebody else. Prosperity of the soul. If I was sat in depression and I'm battling with a lot of heaviness in my life, how can I minister to you on a weekly basis or on a regular basis? It's impossible. I have to be prospered in my soul in order to be able to give you the word that can help you prosper in your soul. And same you. If you are walking amongst the people, you have to be prospered in that area also. So if we believe that we should be prospered spiritually, that is walking the newness of new creation realities. If we believe that we should be prospered in our soul so that we can live in joy and in peace and those things that make for the soul to advance, then why should we not believe that it is also God's good intention that we prosper even in our finances, in the physical, in our health. Now, this is why we must know where the balance is. The church for some time has shifted the balance of the word of prosperity either to the extreme of saying don't talk about it at all or overemphasizing it to the detriment of the soul. The Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? God's intention is that there should be a balance. And that balance is what we are trying to strike at so that we can all understand. I just talked last week that we went, uh, Pastor Keith and I went to Albania to bless people, to minister to people. Now, if we were not prospered, even physically, resources-wise, how could we do such a thing? We paid our own way, paid everything. Personally, not church money. Please, you hear that? Not church money. Okay. Because at times when people hear that pastors left a church to go somewhere, they think it's church money that they used to do it. So it's not church money. Personal funds, pay for our, our flights, pay for our hotels, bless the people there, gave offerings there, gave, gave things there, did things. If we did not have capacity in ourselves to do that, it is impossible. And these are needs. These are things that need to be attended to. If I put my phone to you and show you messages from all over the world, people that need help, Real help, school fees that need to be paid legitimately for children that have no choice. They have no place to go. Young girls, young men, 
So if we are saying that the church should not prosper to do these things, what we are doing is we are limiting what we can do in order to be of better good and of better impact. And so I want to pray today that as God helps us as a church to, to, to embrace these words, not only will we believe them, but they will be bearing fruit in our lives in Jesus' name. So the truth is that this is what God wants for us. Now, this enduring diligence, as I call it, is my own coining. And uh, it's a virtue that I believe is made up of the two things that we know. Two big traits. Talking about endurance. Endurance is simply the ability to persevere through the challenges, difficult situations, and processes without giving up. Somebody say, without giving up. Endurance is the ability to go on without giving up. The ability to persevere. I said the Christians of nowadays have lost this virtue because many people have been taught that when you come to Christ, you are a new creation and all your problems are solved. Which is true. All your problems are solved. By the, by the stripes of Christ, you are healed. And so on and so forth. But the Bible says you will work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You will need to depend on God to keep overcoming obstacles, to keep walking in the fullness of everything God has already assured. Endurance is that ability. If you look at boxing, I don't particularly like boxing very much because somehow I feel that it is extraordinary punishment for two people who can find better ways of doing <laughs> doing their lives but then okay it's a big sport and people like it so i want to use it as an example if you look at people who succeed in boxing there are people who can endure they punch them in the head punch them in the chest at times they stagger they come back again that's endurance and the one who can endure the longest will be the one that raises his hand. He can collapse after they raise his hand, but he, he, gets the, he gets the bells first. That's exactly what it is. A believer must understand that the ability to keep persevering, challenges will come. John 16, 33, Jesus said, in this world, he said, you will have. He didn't say you may have. He said, you will have tribulation. Tribulation. The trials of your faith. He said, you will have them. He said, but be of good cheer, I have overcome. And when believers don't understand that when these challenges come, they are permitted by God to build capacity in us, what we do is we falter and we fail. And then the word diligence is a careful and persistent effort. So one is about persevering through difficult situations, but you are doing it carefully. That is why I said when you bring them together, you can see the benefit. You see, to walk in excellence is diligence. To do things excellently, to do it carefully, putting God first, looking strategically in order to be able to achieve something God has given to you and you are doing it persistently, then that means you are being diligent. A lot of people are enduring, but they are not diligent about it. So they are praying, they are fasting, they are doing all the strategic spiritual things but they are not diligent in the physical things. They are indisciplined with time. They are indisciplined with the management of their resources. Do you know that money in itself, that, 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 that the ability to, to manage money and know how to manage money as a resource in itself takes the wisdom of God? Many people think, oh, if only I can have one million pounds now, all my problems will be solved. For you don't know that if you cannot manage the 1,000, the same way the 1 million will not be manageable. It's very simple. 
So you have to understand that you have to be enduring and you have to be diligent. You have to be strategic, carefully being persistent in all your efforts. Jesus represented the epitome of enduring diligence and we are enjoined to follow his example. We read this in Hebrews chapter 12 from the first three verses. Let's read together. He said, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us do what? Lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Please stop on that verse. Now, what's the first thing we should lay aside? Every weight and every sin. So we're talking here about a righteous walk. We're talking here about a walk of holiness. Weights are things that are not necessarily sin, but things that can be a burden. Things that are just there to slow us down. That's why they're called weights. Too much sleep is a weight. Too much food is a weight. Too much entertainment is a weight. It's a weight. Too much holiday. <laughs> I know you don't like to hear that. The flesh doesn't like to hear. If you leave this flesh, it wants to holiday five days a week all through the year. But too much of it is a weight. Because you cannot holiday every time and be a serious character. You cannot. You must know that there is a balance. Those things that are, he said we should lay them aside. Everything I've mentioned have a good input into your life in the right quantity. Amen. 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 And then he said the sin, the sin which so easily ensnares us. So anything that is a sin, whether it is unbelief, whether it is adultery, whether it is lying, whether it is fornication, anything that is a sin, the sin, he calls it the sin. You must know that thing that so easily ensnares you. He said, you must lay it aside. Everybody must keep examining their own lives. First to understand that for me to be a diligent Christian, I must identify those things. Some time ago, I preached a message here talking about identifying the things that you should do without. If you know that you have certain weaknesses in certain areas, don't, don't keep making yourself vulnerable by not paying attention to that, that thing. Don't say, I am a child of God. If you know that God delivered you from drunkenness and you are, you are, you are now free from it, you have no longer uh, yourself under the control of the influence of that terrible spirit, then you don't associate yourself with people who still drink. You don't because you make yourself vulnerable. Hallelujah. If you know that you have a tendency to, to not be, uh, to, a tendency to be, dif to have difficulty in controlling yourself with members of the opposite sex, then don't expose yourself unduly. Don't go to places or do things that will expose you because you will be, you are making yourself vulnerable and you will easily be ensnared. So when we are talking about diligence, we're talking about you making an, an honest ass assessment of yourself so that you can continually run your race with endurance. If you don't deal with the things you ought to deal with, you will find that the run, running of the race with endurance becomes very difficult. The weights that you carry make it more difficult. Like I used the, the, the example of boxers. I've read stories of boxers who used to train with carrying weights up a mountain so that their hearts can be 
increased in capacity to endure such difficulty so that when they they come to the ring and you are punching them and they should normally be tired their hearts have been so developed they have been so developed to prepare for such kind of impact this is how as christians we must see when god allows us to go through things that is meant to give us a stamina spiritually we should not resist them there are things i learned as a 15 year old when my elder my late elder brother was having mental issues and uh, i thought it was too harsh for me at that time i felt i was too young to be exposed to such harsh realities of life when i had to be the one taking care of him on campus i entered campus as, as an undergraduate i was barely 16. i was still 15 years uh, when i because i finished uh, school very early and those days you could get in it's a bit difficult now but those days you could get in if you were good enough so i got in and I was just about 16 years old. And here was my brother who was 23, 24 years old that time, studying medicine, suddenly starting to run mad. And we didn't know anything about mental health. We knew that definitely there were challenges spiritually. But I had to be the one taking care of him. I was an undergraduate engineering student myself. I would go to lectures. I'll be in lectures. They will come and call me and say, he's got a problem again. He's just gone off. I'll go and hold him, leave my own lectures, take him to my room, pray in the way i could pray we were evangelicals we were not filled with the holy spirit i didn't know how to pray in tongues i didn't know anything about praying in tongues but i'll just be saying lord have mercy help us they will take him to the hospital he'll be okay for two days three days by the time they bring him back we start all over again and i was the one faced with all that and i felt life was harsh i said lord my parents taught, taught us your ways your, my parents put us in the way of the law. I've never seen my father do anything else other than this gospel. Why? We don't deserve this. And so on. I wasn't angry at God, but I was asking questions. I didn't know that God was putting in me some things that today have become spiritual. That is why hardly, to the glory of God, hardly is there anything you can throw my way now that will just make me look like that and shout like any normal human being. Because some things have been put in me from an early age that looked like pain at that time, but they are today virtues of strength. Believers must not shy away from things that try your faith, things that develop your faith. This is what we must understand about enduring diligence. Let's look at verse 2. He said, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was what? Set before him. Now look at it. He did what? endured the cross somebody say he endured. he endured then despising the shame somebody say he was diligent. he was diligent and then what has sat down at the right hand of the throne of god somebody say he obtained the promise, obtained the promise. when you endure diligently you will obtain the promise amen. amen the word despising the shame there means he was refusing to be distracted by the things that, was, that were thrown at him by the people and by the enemy. Verse 3 says what? For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. God doesn't want you weary and discouraged, so you must continue to consider how he endured hostility from sinners. Listen, friends. We talk about the things that Jesus went through, but it is very difficult for us to comprehend it. This is the Son of God. This is the King of glory. This is the one who could command. He said he could command legions of angels and they could come to his rescue. And yet, mortals like you and I were spitting on him. 
mortals like you and I were using cords of whip on his back. Mortals like you and I were saying vile things. Even thieves, a thief, said to him insultingly that if you be the son of God, save yourself and us. They provoked everything that, that was contrary. They, they brought out everything that was contrary to who he was in the process of trying to insult him. We must understand that in order for us to prosper in all things God has called us to do, we must know how to embrace the grace to endure in diligence. If anyone is here and you have a call to ministry, whatever kind of ministry, be it pulpit ministry or any aspect of ministry, you must understand that you will be criticized. I used to hear this from Peter J. Daniels many years ago, great servant of God from Australia, one of the wealthiest business uh, Christian businessmen that is still alive, but that we've ever had in our times. Very, very sound, solid, great servant of God. He said something. He said, if you will do anything for good or for God, you will be criticized. I heard that in the year 2006, and I found that it is so true. If you are going to make any substantial impact in life, you will be criticized. Unfortunately, believers don't understand that criticism is something that the enemy itself usually uses as an occasion to try to stop us. Nehemiah was criticized when he was going to build the walls of Jerusalem. Sambalat and Tobiah said to him, what is this that these people are doing? Even if a fox will go, a little fox will go it, that to crumble the wall. The, the, the man of God had to say to them, our God will prosper us. David was criticized. David was criticized by Saul. David was criticized by his own brothers. In fact, they told him in front of Goliath that it was his pride. Have you ever been trying to make effort and make inroad in your workplace? And you are trying to do things. You are not paid to do that. I mean, you are paid to work there. But you are just using your creativity to try to make the department function better. And somebody is coming to try to tell you that you are doing things that you are not supposed to be doing. And it's trying to be insulting. Have you ever been there before? Because God laid it on your heart. You must understand that you will be criticized, but you must never let criticism stop you. I always see criticism in two ways. Criticism can be positive. If there are things that need to change about you and people criticize you for it, then you make a change. That is God speaking through the people. But when it is the devil that is trying to criticize you, to stop you, to frustrate you, to put you down, you have to find a way to shake it off. Hallelujah. You must never allow such negative criticism because they will keep holding you back. Diligence means that you are looking at the prize possession. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 27. said, The lazy man does not roast while he, is, while he took what he took in hunting, but what? Diligence is man's precious possessions. Diligence is man's precious possession. When you are to, if you are to enjoy and obtain whatever it is God has for you, you must be diligent. In the course of the scripture reading this morning, we read from Isaac's story in Genesis chapter 26. We read verse 1 to 3. And we also read from verse 12 to verse 29. For those of you that may be watching this or listening to this uh, after now. But I want you to read those verses again. It's a story about a great man called Isaac who was the son of Abraham. I'll quickly paraphrase the first few verses and then talk a little bit about a couple of principles we can learn from Isaac's life in context of what we are saying. 
In Genesis chapter 26 verse 1 to 5, we were told that Abraham, uh, Isaac was warned not to go to Egypt because there was famine. But he was assured of God's blessings. Many of us must understand that part of what we need to endure in life is to know how to stay where it may be seemingly difficult. Many, many people have left jobs. Many, many people have left countries. Many, many people have left churches. Many, many people have left marriages. Many, many people have left relationships. Many, many people have left schools. Many, many people have left many places that it wasn't really time or it wasn't really God's will for them to leave. But they did not understand that the pressures that were on them at those times were pressures that were put by the devil to get them to do just that. In the context of marriage, I always speak, if you ask any couple who have been there one year, two years, three years, five years, now it differs from couple to couple, but they will tell you that there were times when things were tough. Things were not as smooth as they wanted. Things were not as smooth as they expected. We learn. And many times, that process of learning, a lot of people have used it as an occasion to give up. The Bible says Isaac was warned. Maybe God saw his heart that he would have just practiced things and left for Egypt. He said, don't go down to Egypt, but stay right here in Gerah. And Isaac stayed there, and the Bible says he was assured of God's blessings. Now, this is very important for us to understand. I always hear from people the story, we all hear this, that the grass is always greener on the other side. How many of you have heard that phrase? And I always say that the more you move closer to that other side, you will find the brown grass that you did not see originally. <laughs> the dead grass is always hidden under the green grass. The more you look, at, at the closer you get to that so-called green grass, then you see the rot that is beneath it. But you see, from afar, it always looks better. Everybody's other thing always looks better. In the year 2002, I was counseling a friend, a Muslim friend of mine. He's a Libyan man. Uh, I was he was just married about one year. And at that time, I was married about seven years or so. And uh, I was counseling him as best as I could. You know, he has a different faith from mine. I said to him, I said, you know, I called his name. I said, you need to look at it this way. You know, your wife is your wife. It's part of you. You need to deal with her with understanding. And I know the Islamic culture and nature is slightly different. But marriage is marriage. She's your wife. Treat her right. Let her know that she, she has. And also, we're living here in the West. A lot of things. And... Uh, <laughs> My friend said to me, he said, David, you don't know my wife at all. That is why you are saying all you are saying. He said, if only my wife was like your wife, life would have been easier. <laughs> I said, do you know my wife? <laughs> I said, you don't know my wife. You are just thinking of what you are seeing from afar. Now, she's a good person. I love her. I thank God for her every day. This morning, I woke her up and I said to her, you know, I thank God every day that I married you. And that is the truth. But the truth is, the person doesn't know her. I live with her. But somehow, people always think that thing on the other side, that other person is always better. You need to understand that you have to endure. Now, I'm not saying that endure abuse or things that need to be treated in a different way. But where there are disagreements, uh, conflicts, and things, we need to know how to endure and work diligently so that we can keep reaping what God wants for us. Amen. In Genesis 26, so verse 6 to 11, he obeyed. He stayed there, but he faced major challenges with Abimelech because his wife was very beautiful. You can read that. We didn't read it this morning, but you can read it from verse 6 to verse 11. 
and uh, he was afraid that they might kill him and take his wife, so he said he was his sister and so on. You can read that. It's not my context today. But from verse 12 to 16, we were also told that he sowed in the land, like we read, and he prospered. But this prosperity brought envy. This prosperity brought envy by the people to the extent that they actually drove him away from where they were and he had to go down into the valley that was associated with that land. So we must understand that this is a very important thing for us. Now I want us to quickly start to look at two principles. The first thing is that he avoided strife and he carried on with his work. This is the first thing I like us to see from Genesis chapter 26 verse 17 and 18. The Bible says, Then Isaac departed from there, after they told him to leave, pitched his tent in the valley of Gerah, and dwelt there. Verse 18 says, And Isaac, let's read verse 18 again. And Isaac dug again the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. If you read Genesis 26 verse 4, 5, God talks about how he will bless him with the blessing according to the order of his father and so on. Now when he got to that place, what many of us would be doing would have been complaining. Many of us, first and foremost, without even complaining, we will first try to strive that this is where God says I should be. This is where I should be and so on and so forth. But Isaac used a principle that his own father had used earlier. He refused to walk in strife. His father experienced the same thing in Genesis chapter 14. If you remember the story, Genesis 13 and 14. The Bible says there was a time the servants of Lot and the servants of Abraham began to strive. And Abraham called Lot and said, look, we are blessed. We don't need to, to keep fighting here. Let us part ways so that you can choose anywhere you want. If you go north, I will go south and so on and so forth. And we know the rest of the story that Abraham, I, Lot chose the, the path of Sodom and Gomorrah and there was a problem later on. But that's, my emphasis here is the fact that we must understand that strife is a weapon of the enemy to hold us back. In both cases, the strife was not between the people. It was, the strife was not between Abraham and Lot. The strife was not between Isaac and the people, the, and Abimelech, but it was between the servants. Look at that. The Bible says, then the Philistines stopped him. And if you read in the verses that were preceding, the Bible says in verse 14 and 15, we don't need to turn to it, but the Bible says that those places, the, the servants were striving. The servants of Isaac were in strife. And this makes me to understand that many times, the things that make us walk in strife are usually periphery. They are our giftings, they are our positions in terms of the work we do, they are our kind of inclinations in life, but not necessarily our persons. So we must know how to separate strife. Even couples must understand that the fabric of your relationship is woven around a commonality of love. Is built on the principle of your togetherness. The two joined together becoming one flesh. But because you are made up of different personalities, different temperaments, different leanings, from time to time, those things will bring positions or bring sources of strife that you and I must understand we should not give a foothold. 
We have to keep knowing how to avoid strife. Avoiding strife is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of meekness. And we all know that meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. Weakness, meekness simply means that you have the ability to control yourself, even though you feel that this is, this is actually taken from you. This is taken away from you. It is a good thing that we must never stop doing. Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not grow weary in well-doing, because we shall reap if we faint not in due season. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Many of us have grown weary in well-doing. Many of us feel that our service to the Lord over the years has not produced enough that we expect, or we don't, we don't find ourselves where we, we thought we ought to be, and so we grow weary. The Bible says, don't be weary. Don't be weary. I have had in my own little experience of life, I've had several occasions that I can give you several examples. Even since this church alone started, where you have helped people, where you have input into people, when they had trouble in their marriages, you spend four hours there of your own time. You pray for them, you do things, you give money, you give things. And yet the same people, the same people will look at you and treat you like trash one day. If you are to look at those people and those kind of attitudes, you will stop doing good. You will stop doing good. But the Bible says that good, you should never stop doing it because there is a reward. I said there is a reward. I said there is a reward. He said, therefore, verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us do good. Let us keep doing good. Tell your neighbor for me, keep doing good. Look at your neighbor and say, keep doing good. Because I said, tell your neighbor, keep doing good. Some people say, keep doing good. <laughs> we have to understand that the good you are doing today that may not look it is what God is stacking up in heaven to provide you the rewards. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8. I'm just giving you some scriptures that should help you remember these things. Verse 8. He said, but beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Verse 9 says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. That's where I want to take this. The Lord is not slow concerning his promises. What God has promised to you as an individual, he will make come to pass. I say he will make come to pass. You need to understand something. God's ways are not our ways. God's time is not our timing. You have heard from me many times here saying to you that a time will come if you are not here by 9.30 that you will, find it, you will find it difficult to park here. You will park on Stafford Street or on Green Lane because I've seen it many times. So I keep saying it. I keep walking at it. If I'm to look at the physical, I'll say, oh no, this will never happen in my time. But it will. Hallelujah. It will because God cannot lie. Hallelujah. We must understand that this is how God, while I value everything that is happening today and I appreciate God for what he's doing here, I'm also setting my eyes on those things that have been promised, knowing very well that he is not slack concerning his promise. But he's waiting patiently, always waiting patiently to make sure that things are in place. Always waiting patiently to make sure that we have the right systems, the right things in place, so that he can do exactly what he wants to do. Verse 10. He said, therefore, beloved, look, sorry, verse 14. He said, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent. Do we have verse 14? I'll read verse 14. He said, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him 
in peace without spot or blameless. So conducting our business in peace leads to productivity that is engraced by heaven. Amen. So what's the first principle? He avoided strife and he carried on with his work. May God help us to know how to keep avoiding strife. In the name of Jesus. Anytime you sense strife, anytime you sense that the devil is trying to orchestrate things, call the person and just talk and let every element of strife be driven away. That does not mean we bury differences or we bury the things that we need to talk about. We need to talk about them, but we need to have the spirit of brotherhood at every point in time so that we understand that what the devil easily uses to split people apart will not easily get us. And we will continue to overcome him in Jesus' name. Now, there are times where people have to part ways. And I am very, very much conscious of the fact that no relationships, no relationship except marriage is meant or is designed by God automatically to last forever. Some will, some will. But we must understand that even if there is going to be a parting of ways, it must be done in peace. That is why Abraham said to Lot, there is no need for us to strive. Let us part ways amicably. It's the same way Isaac applied the principle. It is very important. We must be spiritual enough to handle these matters. The second thing that Isaac did is that he demonstrated focus. Somebody say focus. He demonstrated focus and a tenacity of purpose. We had read it earlier, so I won't read it again from verse 19 to 22. We were told that he reopened three wells, Essek, Sitna, and Rehoboth. He reopened them. They were wells already dug by his father, but every time when he reopened Essek, they took it over. The Philistines took it over from him. He moved to Sitna. He dug it again. They took it over. And then he moved to Rehoboth. Until God led him to Rehoboth, the place of his enlargement, the place where they no longer contested with him, he was diligently focusing on reclaiming the land that God has already promised him. Hallelujah. You must understand that there will be waiters. There are oppositions waiting for you at Essek. Some of you have stopped at Essek because the waiters came and they closed the wells again and they made it difficult and they took it and you sat at Essek. What God is saying is move over to Sitna. There is still land to take across over the land. Go ahead, take the Sitna. He said even if they come there again, there is a place called Rehoboth where it will become impossible for them to stop you anymore. That is what God wants you to get to. And until you understand that it takes enduring diligence, you will keep giving up at every point. But I pray that from today, you will no longer give up. I say you will no longer give up. If you are going to attain any good thing in this life, you must know how to press. The devil is not a gentleman, especially if it has to do with ministry. If you are going to raise godly children, you must know how to press in prayer. Press in wisdom. Children of nowadays, they are wonderful. <laughs> Thank God for them. From age two, you, you'll be shocked at what you see. When you give a two-year-old an iPad now and he puts your pin, you'll be wondering, how on earth did this guy know this thing? <laughs> a two-year-old. In my days, we, we eat things like that. When they gave it to us, we'll just eat it straight <laughs> because we knew nothing about it. But a two-year-old now will take an iPad and swipe your 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 signing the security or put your pin code and you'll be like what they are smart they are sharp they are very different they give us new challenges that takes god 
And we must know how to keep pressing into the things of God to be wise enough. There are things that will continue to threaten you. I'm not saying this as negative prophecy. I'm saying it to build you, to build stamina in you. Husband and wife, when it seems as if your own marriage is the worst on this planet. No, you'd say, no, there is the voice of God and the word of God that said two are better than one. And that is what you must see. You say, honey, let's sit down and let's study the word of God. Let us look at where we have missed it. And when both of you humble yourself, the word of God is always clear. You will see the things that you need to do. And then humble yourself, apply yourself to it and watch it work for you. When I was to start this ministry, when I was to take on this role in ministry, by the grace of God, I've been prepared for many years serving with other pastors. But when God called me late 2012 and he told me about this assignment, I started to dig into history, dig into biographies of people. And I started to find in the stories of men, how men like Miles Monroe was 10 years without being known that he was doing anything anywhere. Where Joyce Meyer would say things like she preached to the point where nobody bought her tape. And one day, she, she, David came back. David, her husband, was the one who, is the one who normally manages her affairs and finances and things. But that time, he was at the tape, table. And one day, he said to her, he said, somebody came. Joyce said she was excited. That, oh, somebody actually bought a tape at last. He said, no, they returned the one they bought last week. <laughs> and how she used to have a piece of black cloth. That was behind her. And that was all she was using to record her messages for years. Today, the stage backdrop that she uses per time cost thousands of pounds to put up. Thousands of dollars to put up. How men like Joel Austin's father, John Austin, pastored only about 100 people for 13 years. And kept going, and kept going, and kept going. Until suddenly, the heavens were opened. And it seems as if it was a dream. 1,000 people, 2,000 people, 5,000 people, 6,000 people by the time he went to be with the Lord in the year 1999. I have looked at stories of people across the world. The Bishop David Oedipo that people celebrate today in the country of Nigeria, pastoring hundreds of thousands of people with millions of followers all over the world, was a man who my wife was in the first church that they ever planted in 1983 in a little town or in a city called Kaduna in northern Nigeria. They used to meet under what they called a grass cathedral. It was a building they built with their hands, using trees and, and, and tree, uh, tree stumps and leaves to cover it up. They met in that place. My wife was one of the people who were, because she was born in that town, she was one of the congregants at that time. And that man will be shouting, the day is coming, that we will build a tent that will seat 50,000 people. A prophecy came in 1981. That building was not built till 1999. But our believer generation, we pray one week, then we, we give up. <laughs> we give up. We say, where is it? This pastor say we will do it. I'm tired. I'm not waking up. When the alert comes at 5 a.m., we say, pray, pray. I'm not praying anything. <laughs> All the prayer we have been praying since January. <laughs> so I want you to know that there is something about your life that God has said will come to pass. And nothing will stop it from coming to pass. In the name of Jesus. All you need to do is to know how to endure diligently. And the Lord will transform your life. I said the Lord will transform your life. In the name of Jesus. I want you to rise to your feet as we prepare ourselves.